and he manifested his glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. My dear faithful, we read today the third of the Epiphanies. We have come through December, the Advent season, in anticipating the coming of the promised Savior. We have reenacted the events of the Nativity of our Lord, and now we come to those epiphanies, as I mentioned, when we actually accompany our Lord all the way to the beginning of his public life, which is exactly what we do with today's gospel. We saw him in the manger with the kings, again manifesting his glory. We saw him in the Jordan River when John the Baptist saw the dove, the Holy Ghost in the form of the dove, come down upon him and remain upon him. Yes, the Holy Ghost would come down upon prophets and enlighten them, but in Jesus, St. John the Baptist saw the Holy Ghost come down from heaven and remain upon him, showing that this is that continuous state of our Lord as the Son of God. But the third epiphany now takes place when our Lord is invited to the wedding feast and there performs a miracle for all to see. The kings saw our Lord in the manger. John the Baptist saw the dove descend upon, the dove from heaven, the Holy Ghost, descend upon our Lord and remain upon him. But here, all those at the wedding feast were given to witness this miracle today, this third manifestation of our Lord's power and glory. The changing of the water into wine at the wedding feast of Cana. And so with this, we actually complete, in a sense, we complete the great season of nativity, taking our Lord to the beginning of his public life. Now, we need to take a look at this particular miracle here. Why is this a, considered a third appearance of our Lord and manifestation of his glory? Well, this passage in St. John's Gospel is unique to St. John. He is the only one of the four Gospel writers who mentions this event. And one can readily see why St. John, in writing not only the last of the Gospels, but in writing the last of the books of the Bible, because St. John's Gospel is, in fact, the last, the very last book of the Bible that was written down. At an advanced age, St. John wanted to record these events in the Gospel. It's not that the Catholic people did not know of these things. Of course, they had heard the apostles preaching of them for all those years. But St. John wanted to record these things in the scriptures for you and me to be able to see today and to read today and to ponder today. He wanted us to be aware of our Blessed Mother's role in the public life of our Lord, which began with this event, with this miracle. John himself, as you know, was the apostle to whom Jesus gave Mary to be his mother. And our Lord Jesus Christ gave Mary to John as the mother who would not only care for him, but for whom he himself would care for the rest of his life, for the rest of her life. From the cross, our Lord gave her to him. 
And so he was especially close to her. It is very possible that when St. John came out of the darkness or the shadows to stand under the cross, the only apostle to do so, it's very possible that what drew him out of the shadows into which he had fled with the rest of the apostles when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane was the sight of Mary and perhaps his love for her drew him to stand with her and to support her under the cross. In any case, our Lord committed her to John's care. And it is not surprising at all that John, therefore, would make this very special mention of the event of the wedding feast of Cana in order to enable us to understand the place of Mary, not only in our Lord's life, but in our lives too. You see, the gospel tells us that there was a wedding feast of Cana and Mary was invited. And then the gospel says, almost as an afterthought, and Jesus was also invited and his disciples. And that gives us to understand a number of things. First of all, St. Joseph had died. He was no longer there with the Holy Family. The invitation would have certainly come to him if he had been alive. <clears throat> so sometime during those years of our Lord's life, from 12 to 30, Joseph had passed away. So Mary was invited, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who at that time was relatively unknown, and as I say, had not actually manifested his glory and become public, so to speak, that he was invited too, and his disciples also. And so while they were there, of course, as you know, as the gospel tells us, the wine was exhausted. This was a, an embarrassment, certainly, for the couple being married, for the family hosting the wedding, certainly was an embarrassment, wasn't the end of the world, but it prompted Our Lady to turn to our Lord Jesus Christ, turn to her son, and simply make an observation, they have no wine. As though our Lord did not know, certainly he did, and she knew he knew, they had no wine. Why would she turn to him and tell him and make this observation to him? Well, she knew, and he knew. And these were the only two there who understood what passed between them. Mary said simply, they have no wine, and our Lord Jesus Christ responds, what is that to thee and to me, woman? My hour is not yet come. That's the complete verbal communication between Jesus and Mary at the wedding feast of Cana. <coughs> Not much of a conversation, certainly. One brief statement and one brief response. Now, there are those who try to make our Lord's answer look like a rebuke to Mary, telling her basically to mind her own business. You find this blasphemy even in the King James Version of the Bible. The King James Version of the Bible mistranslates these words from the Greek Bible to have Jesus say to Mary, what do I have to do with you, woman? As though Jesus said to Mary, what have I to do with you, woman? But of course, that is not what the gospel actually says. That is a falsification, and it is designed to minimize, again, the role of Mary. Actually, our Lord's words are still mysterious, though. What is the fact that they have no wine have to do with you 
and with me. And our Lord referred to her as woman, not as an insult, but if you look in the Gospels, you find there are about six times that our Lord referred to women as women. He referred to Mary as woman when he gave her to John when Jesus was dying on the cross. There were times when Jesus referred to other women by that name as he was about to perform a miracle for them as he was praising their faith. It was not a, an insult at all as the enemies of our faith try to, and the enemies of Our Lady try to make it out to be. Rather, it was a title of address. And our Lord was about to perform a great miracle, as we find out very soon. Now, Jesus knew exactly what he meant, and he knew exactly what the Blessed Mother meant. She was asking him for something. She knew what she was asking for. But it was a difficult thing. My hour is not yet come, Jesus said. Mary understood that. She understood the meaning of those dread words, my hour, my hour. The hour of decisiveness in my life and finally my death. There was something important about this moment that is not said in the gospel. But those who have faith can enter into the mind of Mary and even into the mind of Jesus and understand by what happens next. The Blessed Mother turned to the servants and said, do whatever he tells you. She knows what he means to do. She understands him as no one else does. Her understanding goes far beyond the mere words. She has asked him to do something and he is about to do it. Now this is very significant because the Blessed Mother long before had said that she was the handmaid of the Lord. And now this handmaid or servant girl of the Lord turns to these servants 30 years later and instructs those servants to do whatever Jesus tells them to do. If there's any message of Mary that should linger in our minds and our hearts every day is that do whatever he tells you. She is the handmaid of the Lord, and she wants us also to be at his service continually. And so, without hesitation, and it's interesting that Mary would have to tell them that, because it's evident that she has the respect to command them, whereas perhaps Jesus would not. They would know her. They would not necessarily know him yet. So she told them to obey him. And our Lord commanded them to fill the water jars with, with water and then take out from that water and give to the chief steward, their boss, to let him taste the wine that he would make for these poor married people, not just to save them from their embarrassment, but for a much, much more significant reason. The consequence of what Mary asked, the consequence that Mary asked it, the consequence that Jesus granted it, had everything to do with an appointed time by the Father. And it is made very clear by Jesus that if Mary had not asked, the hour would not have come. It would not have happened. But it happened because Mary asked. What Jesus did there was he began his road to Calvary. 
He manifested his glory. He manifested his power. His disciples believed in him, as the gospel says. And Jesus began his public life by that very miracle requested by Mary. Now, we have to draw a connection between two, two events that happened during this Christmas time. Two events that happened actually 18 years apart, but they are connected. We saw in the Gospel of the Feast of the Holy Family, Jesus allow Mary and Joseph to leave Jerusalem and to go back, to start their way back home to Nazareth while he stayed in the temple. Later on, three days later, the Blessed Mother would ask Jesus why he had done this because it caused them great sorrow and anxiety. And Jesus' answer was a question. Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? The gospel tells us that Mary accepted that, that she was always the handmaid of the Lord. She knew who it was who was speaking to her, her son, but God's son. And she bowed her head and she humbly accepted that what appeared to be a rebuke from our Lord, that he must be about his father's affairs. And so it was that 18 years later, at the wedding feast of Cana, this blessed mother, who understood, as no one else could, that Jesus had come to fulfill his father's will. And that is all that she cared about. She now was given the right, the place, the privilege to ask him to begin the road to Calvary. And it took all of her mother's love for Jesus and for you and for me, for her to ask him to do this. It was a great sacrifice. This request of hers, simple as it was, would forever put an end to their happy life together, a little nucleus of heaven here on earth in Nazareth, and begin our Lord's public life that would end under the cross for Mary, on the cross for Jesus. It was Mary's call to make. That's the place she had in the life and the death. The resurrection, the glorification, that is the role of Mary. It is a wonderful thing, admirable. It is ultimately a labor of love on the part of this dear handmaid mother of the Lord. We see the role of Mary, therefore, in our Lord's life, that she would allow her motherhood to be carried with him, that our Lord would carry not only that cross to Calvary, he would carry her mother's heart there, and that the sword would be pierced there. And she was all completely devoted to and focused on this one thing, that Jesus had come to be about his Father's will, and Jesus was the handmaid of that Lord. And the Blessed Mother Mary was the handmaid, excuse me, of that Lord God. I ask you to please renew your devotion to Our Lady. Thank our Lord for giving her to you too. And ask that we may find in her that solace. Her heart was pierced open for you, to be open to receive you. And then it was said that the hearts of many, the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. 
We pray that our, th our thoughts are there within the thoughts of Mary. We pray that in the open heart of Mary, our thoughts also may be, that our meditations, our prayers may be all virtually contained within the heart and the love of this great handmaid of the Lord, mother, spiritual mother of all mankind. May God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.